We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing youth esports. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice as all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Obi-Wan Nick Kenobi. Nick is the Chief Learning Officer for the Coalition of Parents in Esports, COPE. As a public school educator, he has served as an elementary school teacher, technology integration specialist, curriculum designer, and a professional learning facilitator for the Baltimore County Public Schools. Nick is also Digital Promises Project Director for Maker Learning, where he advocates and supports equitable opportunities for hands-on design-oriented learning experiences. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is this is awesome. I've been looking forward to this one. Me too. So, you know, we'll start. Tell us a little about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played? How'd you kind of get involved in the esports world? That's the first game I played. Uh, it was Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Uh, like, I, I remember getting, like, it's actually one of my, like, very first memories just in general was playing a lot of Duck Hunt as, like, a, probably like a two or a three-year-old and just loving the fact that, like, I could shoot that light gun at like my old school like cathode what was it cathode ray uh television like the crt tvs like the fact that like i could like pull that and have it interact with the screen was just mind-boggling to me and like getting down how to do every single level and run every single level in mario as quickly as i could while still getting the maximum number of coins like finding every one up like I think for me, like my initial esports uh, involvement was really that competition against myself. Like, what can I do to like make this game more challenging for myself? How can I find a quicker way to do this, a better way to do this? I I just I loved that that part of uh, gaming. Just the fact that that technology was in my house. You know, like it's something I've I've always grown up with. It was one of those things I think about my kids now and what they see, I think about that in comparison to what, what I see, like that was really like the beginning of, of like really, really huge home-based gaming and this opportunity to like take those games and turn them into a game outside inside of that game as well was something that really it just like, I was just enamored with from a very, very young age. So I've, I've played games my entire life. Uh, every cons, basically every console you can imagine, I got my hands on at some point, whether I owned it or or a friend had it. 
Um, but for me, like I said, my my esports involvement has really mostly been informal for for the majority of my life. It was one of those things. It's like esports has become part of the lexicon. It's always been a thing. Like since gaming started, we know that that esports began really in like the mid mid uh, 1900s, which sounds so awful to say, <laughs> but like. Uh, for me, it was informal. Like I was a kid that organized Mario Kart and GoldenEye tournaments in my in my neighborhood. Like I took it incredibly seriously. Like you weren't allowed to run Odd Job and GoldenEye. Like you had to pick one of like the regular characters that was a normal height. Uh, we would cut up pieces of cardboard into like crosses so that you couldn't screen sheet, and we would put it on the screen so that you could make sure that the other person couldn't see where you were on the map. Uh, and that real that then turned into I think one of my favorite gaming memories was when I started, uh, I moved into college my sophomore year. I stayed home my freshman year. And I moved onto campus and plugged my original Xbox into the network and realized that all of these other people were playing Halo in my dormitory. And that was like, I didn't like, I had a computer when I was growing up, but not a computer that could run really robust games. So that was really like my first opportunity to like, have a land party and like really like game with other people that I didn't know as well and like make friendships and like we could avoid screen cheating because like you could stay in your room and I could stay in my room like this was before Halo 2 launched and Xbox Live really became huge so like esports for me was always like friendly competition amongst your friends more recently like where where I've gotten myself more involved uh in esports is really at the intersection of of my my job with Digital Promise, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but this I, this this intersection of making and creating things and gaming at the intersection of education—that's where I've really gotten myself mostly involved in this. Particularly the idea of content creators and really being able to create engaging content for an audience and learning all of the skills that go with that. I always like to say I, I want kids to be able to learn to make and make to learn uh, and. It's really cool to be able to do that in the in the realm of esports as well, because we we know that it's just a, a booming industry, and there's so much opportunity to be creative in that space while also getting to play competitively or just play for fun. Yeah, I mean, we'll break down a lot of that. I definitely have those early memories of you know Duck Hunt, where I'm holding the gun against the screen. And I'm just trying to get it. I I'm, I wasn't on that advanced stuff. Where I'm trying to get every single thing as quick as you. So you <laughs> yeah, know, I guess in an early age we were ready for esports. Yeah, you know, I I just like you know like when you when you got past those first few uh the 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 pipes in Mario and like there was that invisible block where you could get the one up. Like I wanted to get that, but then still be able to go back to that last pipe and go down and get all of the coins in that underground part. And then fast forward to the end, like that, like that was like, that was the hit of dopamine that I needed every single day. I was like, yes, I did that. And if I missed it, I, I was furious. So like, I wasn't quite a speed runner, but I definitely wanted to optimize like my ability to play the game, maximize the number of extra lives I had and still like, plow through the game as quickly as possible yeah and i think that you know you kind of touched on really the grassroots of esports is these community-wed tournaments of getting people into neighborhood or you know bigger areas together and that's how all this stuff really started to where it is now it came from that so i think it's really interesting that you know you don't even but you were there and you were just having fun and trying to do something not realizing that a decade or two decades from then when you were doing these tournaments, this was going to be a thing that people were going to be competing in and 
making, you know, six figures or, you know, millions of dollars. Right. Like I was I was in school and I would be putting together like Mario Kart and and Madden and uh, Goldeneye brackets of all the kids in the neighborhood. And then like someone would we would find out someone would call the landline and say, oh, I can't play today. So then we'd have to rearrange the brackets and like all of that stuff, like all of those skills. Like you, I, I never thought of them at that point. But like now I'm like, oh, like that's where some of the organizational skills come from. Right. Like the ability to like think about these things and like get a bunch of people together to do something. And in this case, compete. And and to your point, like, it's just blown up exponentially. Like, it's just really, really cool to see. Definitely. So, you know, we'll kind of start a little bit. Tell us a little about COPE. You know, what is it? And what's your kind of role with the organization? Yeah, absolutely. So COPE is the Coalition of Parents in Esports. We're a nonprofit organization uh, really dedicated to educating the adults in kids' lives about gaming and esports. You know, it's the Coalition of Parents in Esports, but we know that there are far more influential uh, adults in a, in a kid's life other than just parents, right? Like parents, guardians, educators, like it's really important for us to really be educating the adults in the room, particularly the ones who help make a lot of the decisions around many things in kids' lives. Like we know that kids can have a ton of influence, but there's also a lot of factors that are controlled by adults. So helping them to better understand the world. I always say that education can help foster understanding. And with that, we can foster greater participation by parents, which is really, really cool. That's what we want to see ultimately, right? Anything that kids are involved in, you want to see the adults in their lives interested in it, understanding it better than they did previously, and ultimately, if they can, participating in it. Definitely. So I know you, we, you were announced as a chief learning officer. So what does that kind of role entail? How are you going to be working with COPE? Absolutely. So like you said, I'm, I'm COPE's chief, lear- chief learning officer. My, my job is to do the things that I just talked a bit about, right? This idea that parents are an inc- incredibly uh, influential stakeholder. Uh, sorry. Parent that the idea that parents are an incredibly influential stakeholder group in education broadly, as well as anything that their kids are involved in. So I see my role really, my role is really taking a look at what are our goals and outcomes as an organization and helping that translate to our stakeholders, which you would think is only parents, but it's actually, again, all of those different adult groups that I said, but also kids. We also want to help kids who are already involved in esports and gaming or are thinking about getting involved in it. We want to help provide them with the language and the understanding and the research that they can also have a lot of these conversations with the adults in their lives as well. That's one of the biggest things that I that I see our role is is being a catalyst for conversation, right? This idea that if we're helping to distill information, whether it's research, data, both qualitative and quantitative, we wanna make sure that we are helping to distill that for all of our different stakeholder groups and speaking to them in the language that they understand. There's a different way of telling parents, this is good for your kids, than there is to tell kids that this is good for them, right? Like there's, there's different language, there's different vernacular, there's different, data points that will that will help better articulate that argument to different stakeholder groups. So for us, it's for me in particular, it's my job to really understand that and help make sure that we're creating quality educational content that helps these different stakeholder groups better understand the benefits of gaming and esports and helping them get more involved in this space and better understand the space. Uh, and and 
yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to doing that. Particularly, we've got a lot of incredible things coming up in the coming in the coming year. Really, just thinking about how we can bring together, in particular, these uh, these different stakeholder groups to have really candid conversations about the gaming and the esports spaces. Amazing. I think that's you know a really unique point that you bring up. That yeah, it's about trying to bridge the gap with the parents, but also the other adults in their life, the educators, the school administrators, the people you know, the teachers, the people that are actually going to be doing the daily grind, interacting with the students in this world. They need some help too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot like from my time when I was with Baltimore County Public School. So I was a classroom educator. When I was a classroom educator, I I did a lot of games-based learning in my classroom. I had uh, kids would bring their own, like they would bring their like fire fire tablets and their their Android devices and their iPads, and they would they would want to do stuff in Minecraft. And I was like, this was before Minecraft in edu- like the Microsoft Minecraft education actually existed before my, uh, Microsoft bought them for however much money it was. And we, we had to find all of these really weird workarounds to get things working. But, you know, I was able to teach math like we would do like area and perimeter in in minecraft we would we would talk about uh scarcity of resources and and what that looks like in nature uh in in minecraft and the resources that were available there and like i didn't have a huge dedicated server for that but one of the things that was really important in that work was when i would naturally get the questions from parents why is my kid bringing this to school why are you spending time in science or in math playing this game and being able to break that down for them was really important helping them better understand we're not just playing to play although sometimes that's okay you know like these kids would would continue playing during recess and a lot of times they'd continue doing things based on the concepts that we were talking about in class earlier in the day but then when i moved into central office and i was working on our maker learning work and even just our our transition to a one-to-one learning environment with technology. Again, it was just really important for us to help communicate effectively to parents what the benefits of having that technology in the classroom were. And I'll tell you, like there was a huge, huge, I, I shouldn't say huge, a very vocal minority of parents who were really, really opposed to technology being in the classroom to the to the degree that it was. And some of their concerns were valid, right? Like how much how much of your student your kids assessment do you want to be done with artificial intelligence how much time do you want them to be on the device doing things where they're just consuming content and and for us it was we had to attack that in so many different ways we had to both do the communications piece and say like this is why this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it this is how we're doing it and for the educators it was how do you take this technology that you have and how do you use it effectively with your learners? Instead of just taking a PDF of what used to be something that you would copy and hand out 30 copies of, let's not just do that PDF. Let's find a way to leverage the technology in a way where your kids get to create stuff, where they get to put content out into the world in a really authentic way. And helping educators make that shift was was really was really huge. So that I, I see so many parallels between that work that I did uh, with Baltimore County Public Schools and ultimately what needs to happen now in the esports and gaming world. We see we see parents concerned about violence in games and too much time, too much screen time, and kids getting tilted uh, and being frustrated. And so much of this is is these aren't necessarily like huge issues. They're really they're really misunderstandings. 
right? Like you'll you'll hear, for example, I was reading, I was on Common Sense Media earlier, uh, prepping for this, and I was reading. It was interesting. I was reading the the parent reviews of Fortnite, and you know, it got a four out of five stars, which I was actually pretty surprised about. But one of the one of the parent uh, comments really stood out to me. It was this. It was a comment that. You can't let your kid play. It was interesting, actually. They gave it like four out of five stars. and But they were also like, you can't let them play for too long. I noticed that my kid was getting really, really frustrated every time they would play this game. And like when you read that, like on the surface, if you're a parent or somebody else approaching this with very little understanding of gaming or or esports, you're like, oh, my gosh, that sounds really scary. My kid's going to play this and they're going to they're going to come off of that game angry and and. For me, like the first thing I think of, because I've been so immersed in this work for so long, my first question is, well, what, what if your kid was playing football and, and they just played a game and, and they lost? They'd probably be pretty tilted. They'd probably be pretty angry. So that's actually a really normal thing when, when a kid or anybody is doing something competitive and feel those feelings of, of anger and frustration if they didn't perform to the level they wanted to or they were just outplayed. So for me, it's like, no, I want my kid to play that. I want them to experience that. What am I going to do as a parent to talk to them about that? How are we going to address their feelings? Like, you don't get to throw the controller. You don't get to come at me as your parent and be mad at me. I didn't do anything. We're going to work through this constructively. And that's a lot of the work that I think that we're going to see that we're going to be doing with COPE in the coming years. It's this idea that the bad things that get cited about gaming and esports, for the most part, are are things that are actually misconceptions and misunderstandings, and uh, are oftentimes correlations, not causations. The game isn't making you tilted. Competition is making you tilted. It doesn't matter what the avenue is. We need to help you work through your feelings about losing or being outplayed or whatever it may be rather than saying it's clearly this game because i've heard that games are bad definitely and as someone who definitely still gets mad at the controller oh, for sure. like i've thrown more controllers and i tell my wife it's like i'm just yelling at the game really uh-huh. like, it's not that serious but uh-huh but that's because you have the competitive drive and you want to win or like you know i miss a shot and it's like oh it's like yeah, you miss a shot in life, but like you don't miss when you have a wide open dunk. It's the game, you know? It's just like you get this anger, but it's not like actual anger the same way that you're going to lash out at people. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, it's hard to fault parents, right? They've got a lot going on. They they're working, they have kids that they have to care for, they have all of these other responsibilities. Gaming for the most part is something that kids do in isolation from their parents. So they don't even if they played games, you know, this generation of parents. And like I said, I've got I've got two kids. I think, Justin, you have one like we we grew up as gamers, but I didn't game with my parents just now. Does like my mom even like remotely consider like and it's mostly for my son. Like she, she gets put to work chopping down trees and Animal Crossing. Like my son is like, I need you to cut these down. I need you to replant these trees like but like for the most part, parents are live that live separately from their their kids' lives in the gaming and esports world. So when they when they see their kids coming into the room frustrated after playing, all they see is, okay, you were playing that game, and I never see you frustrated like this unless you're doing that. But that might be that kid's only competitive outlet. 
So what you're seeing there is not causation. It's just correlation. If you put them in any other competitive environment, the reaction is probably going to be relatively similar. So it's our job. It's our role as an organization to really say, hey, let's have conversations about this. Let's sit down, talk. Here's what the data says. Here's what the research says about gaming. Here's really great stories about how families, schools, out-of-school time organizations have addressed some of the things that you don't really like that you see as negative aspects of gaming. These are just aspects of life that are being played out with gaming as, as the medium, the media of choice, right? You can, there, there's movies, there's books, there's music. Yeah, watching all, the all, Jets all, lose every week. <laughs> you know, after after I watched the Ravens uh like beat like practice practice squad lose to the Bengals this week. I I I I know the tilt all too well. But there, there's there's really just like these media types have been demonized. Every time there's a newer media type, there it's always it's always the reason why things are bad, right? Like violent movies were a bad thing, violent rap television, music. rap music, even the fictional novel. When you go back in history, you can actually find research articles and editorials in newspapers talking about the, the, the downfall of society being women reading fictional novels because it would distract them from their matronly, motherly duties and they dream of bigger, better things ruining society like that this is this is par for the course it's our job to help break those myths and help people see that there's real value in gaming there's real benefits in gaming it's really not i don't want to say it's no different than any other media type it is it's an interactive media type but to me that just means it's all the more powerful just like any other media type though it can be used for good it can be used for bad so let's take a look at this critically. Let's create the conditions in which our kids and our families are gaming in healthy environments where they're enjoying themselves and they're learning. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, a really great point that you kind of bring up and kind of transitioning a little bit. So tell us a little bit about how you, you know, start, you know, a middle school or any kind of youth-centered esports or gaming program. What are some benefits that, you know, a school might get from this kind of program or this, you know, course is involved in their curriculum? Yeah. So for me, it's really like any other extracurricular. When, when you create an extracurricular club, be it a gaming club, an esports team, debate team, whatever, like whatever it is, first and foremost, this is a way to get kids more involved in their school community. It gives them a safe, supervised environment for those kids. There are opportunities for relationship building. In this case, when we're talking about gaming and potentially competitive gaming, there's soft skills development, you know, the opportunity to collaborate and to problem solve and to communicate with one another. Like, there's nothing worse than when I'm calling out to my teammate in a game and saying, like, it's over here, it's over here, it's over here. And they're like, I don't know what you mean by over here. You're not pointing to anything. Like, <laughs> That's a skill that you can develop, especially in a world that's virtual, increasingly virtual like ours is now. The, the opportunity, the, the need to be really clear with your communication is something that we need to grow in kids and help them learn it. And also, it, when we're talking about gaming and esports, a, a gaming or esports club can be an introduction into one of the most popular and influential industries in the world, right? We know that gaming 
out earns movies, it out earns music, it out earns print media. I think the only one it doesn't out earn right now is television, just because there's so much television content out there right now. So this is an industry that has hundreds of different job opportunities. And a gaming or an esports club is an opportunity to not only game, but to do some of those things around it. So if I'm a school administrator, the first thing I'm doing is I'm getting my students and my parents involved in the planning of this club. Everything needs to, like, with the stigma that comes around gaming and esports, the sooner you can get parents involved and on your side to create these clubs, the better off you're going to be. Because it's an opportunity to take a look at some of the decisions that you're going to need to make. And, I, and I'll also like plug for Cope, like, also let us know if you're if you're a school administrator out there and you and you're you're needing some help thinking about this, let us know at Cope and we're happy to help you. Some of the things that you're probably going to talk about in the beginning stages, any extracurricular should really start with what are the goals and the outcomes for the program? It may originally just be like, oh, like I want kids to be able to play video games because I know kids like video games. But any good extracurricular has broader, uh, but also I shouldn't say broader, more targeted goals and outcomes than that. Like what are the learning outcomes? What are the, what are the, what are the outcomes for kids who uh, are in your program, in your club, what do you want? What does the kid look like, say, do before they're in your club? What do they say, look like, and do a midway through your club? And then after your club, like, what is the growth trajectory for them? Because it's an opportunity, like I said, to teach and do all of those things uh, that I mentioned before. Talk through what games are going to be played. You know, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, like I said, like the research is very clear quote-unquote violent video games do not cause violence in kids or adults. It's just that the evidence is very clear that, that that is not a thing. But we also understand that schools are catering to lots of different families, particularly in public school. So what games are going to be played? Are you going to stick to games that don't have a, a quote-unquote violent component to it? So thinking about games like Rocket League, competitive Minecraft, like even Splatoon, which is a quote-unquote shooter, but you're using paint to cover uh, uh, cover different surfaces in the game. Like a lot of schools really stick to those types of racing games, uh, games that don't rock the boat in Sports terms of games, Madden, exactly, 2K, exactly, exactly, because those are games that don't really rock the boat, right? Like you, you want to start any extracurricular, particularly a gaming or esports club. You want to start with some early easy wins, right? And like, if you're immediately trying to jump into like, I want these kids to play Call of Duty, like, fine, like that's great. Make that your goal somewhere down the line. Like, let's start with some easy wins. What are some games that we think are going to be relatively harmless in terms of the broader adoption of this club or this program? And then also, what platforms are going to be used? Are you going to have to go out and buy consoles? Uh, are there computers already in your school that you can potentially use? One thing that I always recommend to schools is if you have like a graphic, like particularly like a high school that has a lot of electives, particularly around like graphic design or broadcast media, those computers probably already have pretty robust graphics cards in them. Can you repurpose them in the after in after school for for a gaming club? Like why go out and buy more stuff if you don't have to? Maybe your only investment needs to be some gaming mice and keyboards and uh, and and maybe a couple controllers if you've got kids that want to play on controller. Uh, but like thinking about those things is really critical. And then again, going back to that question of what are the goals and outcomes for the program? Are there opportunities to introduce career paths to kids in the club? Like, 
If you've got shoutcasters, if you want kids to shoutcast, if you want to stream uh, the the competitions or even just casual gameplay uh, for your kids in your club, uh, there, there's broadcasting, there's the technical, the IT stuff, there's the shoutcasting, uh, there's graphic design if you're going to create logos or or overlays for for your club. Um, public, you're hitting public speaking, you're hitting writing, reading, um, you're hitting graphic design, art, artistic skills and concepts. There's all of this opportunity. Intentionally planning those things, again, allows you to better articulate to parents what are kids going to be doing in that club. If you can say, these are our goals and outcomes, these are the games that are going to be played, this is why it's not going to cost us as much money as you think it's going to cost us. And these are the career opportunities or even just skills and concepts that could benefit, you know, because like you can do graphic design for an esports club and then go do graphic design for for a bank. Like there, there are or transferable any company, skills. Or right, there, there are transferable skills there. So so there's all of this opportunity and it can happen in parallel or even directly infused in a gaming or an esports club. Definitely. So what about, you know, on the academic side, if you're creating, I guess, you know, K through 12 education, do you think that's something that needs to be explored more or is this really focused on the competitive side? I, you know, I, so I, I take a pretty, uh, a, br- a pretty broad approach to, to what gaming should look like in school. I, I think there is, there's absolutely room and, and sh- there should be competitive esports in any school that offers other extracurricular varsity junior varsity club intramural teams like if you're offering those things what you're saying and but you're not i'm sorry if you're offering those things but you're not offering an esports club what you're saying is we value the experiences of kids who want to play traditional sports more than we value the the kids who would like to participate in esports and the argument is almost always rooted in well this is a physical competition you know what I guarantee you playing football is more dangerous than playing an eSport. And you get all of the still the same skills and concepts, like in terms of teamwork and, and responsibility, showing up to practice, all of these things in, 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 an, in, a, in a way that is not as physically demanding. Okay. But in, in other ways, it's physically demanding, right? Like you've got fine motor skills that you're using. You've got hand-eye coordination. Um, so I absolutely think that any school that's offering traditional sports should absolutely be offering an esports program in tandem with that. Then we talk about K-12, like actually in the school day, there's so much opportunity to embed either games-based learning. So some of the things that I mentioned uh, previously in the podcast about my experiences using Minecraft, like Minecraft education is huge. There are so many things that you can teach in that. Then you get into how can you use games to actually convey ideas that you've actually learned. So uh, I, I hosted a conversation with a number of educators a few weeks ago, and one of them, uh, Angelique Giannis, who's out in San Diego, California, she had kids uh, create scenes from the book Fahrenheit 451 in, in Fortnite Creative and like had like book, like a pile of books burning and like did a lot of symbolism in Fortnite Creative and my my thing has always been, if I'm not assessing your writing, then you don't need to write to tell me what it is that you're trying to convey. If 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 what I'm assessing is is your writing ability, then yeah, I'm going to ask you to write something. But if I just need you to convey an idea to me, I don't really care how you do it. I don't care if you 
give me a speech. I don't care if you program your own game. I don't care if you use a creative aspect in an already existing game. It doesn't really matter to me. So I love this idea of games-based learning and, and kids really having the opportunity to show what they know inside of a game. And then there's this other part that kind of ties those two things together, which is all of these career opportunities in and around gaming. So game, game design, broadcast, uh, coding and program. Like we know coding is huge right now in, in schools. So this idea that kids can and should have opportunities to work with tools and platforms like Unreal Engine or, uh, or Unity. There's all of these different amazing platforms out there that are used for game design. They're also used, you know, I, I didn't realize this until like a couple months ago, but the entire first season, maybe the second season of Mandalorian on Disney Plus was uh, done in Unreal Engine. All of the visual effects were done in Unreal Engine, which is legitimately a free platform that you can run on your computer at home if, if you've got a robust enough machine. Which brings me to my point. Not every kid has those machines at home. So if we're not providing those opportunities in school, then where are kids getting those opportunities? It's, it's, this is, it's actually a really nice transition to my work uh, at Digital Promise, which is this idea that there is a digital divide. And if we're not providing opportunities for kids to access technology in school, really robust, powerful technology, then we know that there are some kids that will have the opportunity at home or in other programs that their parents sign them up for that kids that don't have those opportunities will. You know, we started this podcast off with me saying that I had a Nintendo Entertainment System at like two or three years old. There's a lot of families that don't have that. I grew up in a family where I had really great access to technology. That right there is privilege. And kids that go to school that are kids that don't have that at home and then they go to a school where they don't have access to it they're they're behind in terms of other kids who who have had access to that so when we get to getting into a, getting into maybe a magnet high school or getting acceptance to a college or to a trade school there are kids that have had all of these opportunities to build all of these skills and we should be doing that in school so i like i i think that Every school, K-12, should have a, a coding and programming uh, plan for if you want to start learning computational thinking as early as kindergarten, all the way up to opportunities to engage in game design and programming and learning all of these different languages in high school. Not mandated, but opportunity. It should be in the schools for kids to have the opportunity to tap into it if that's something that they're interested in. Absolutely. So, you know, tell us a little about, you know, what Digital Promise is and what's your day-to-day -day like and some recent work you've done with the organization. Absolutely. So Digital Promise uh, is actually a, uh, was, was actually, it's interesting. Uh, Digital Promise was written into law in, I believe, the final year of the Bush administration. Uh, he, it was written into law that there should be an organization dedicated to closing the digital learning gap for kids, making sure that all kids have access to robust technologies with which they can learn. Um, it was then funded during the Obama administration. And since we are now our own independent nonprofit organization, no longer government affiliated, although we do, we do work that's federally funded, but applying for grants just like any other nonprofit organization would do. And like I said, our work is really focused on closing, closing the digital divide for kids. Uh, we have an entire research wing. Uh, we do a lot around learner variability, which is this idea that, that kids learn in different ways and like to do things differently. And we all have a, a learner profile that, that is jagged and, and 
we need as educators, we need to understand how to connect with each kid in a different way. Uh, it's, it's one of the, my, my son has an individual education plan. And one of the things I always say is that every kid should have an individual education plan and technology can do a lot to help with that. Um, so my work that I do with Digital Promise is that I'm the, I'm the project director for Maker Learning. And I used this language before, uh, but basically to sum up my work is that kids should have the opportunity to learn to make and to make to learn. So I direct a portfolio of national and regional projects that are dedicated to kids getting the opportunity to do those things. So when I first joined Digital Promise uh, just over three years ago, one of my first projects, uh, we were working uh, in tandem with well, now Meta, which is formerly Facebook, their education modernization team, they were putting together uh, a curriculum and a, a learning experience for kids called Engineer for the Week, where kids got to learn how to use the Scrum methodology for project uh, management while also developing a product for a social good. So there were two different tracks for that. One was called um, Games for Change, where kids used Scratch, which was developed out of MIT, um, scratch programming to actually develop games around a social issue that was really important to them. And then the other one was uh, chatbots for change. So how to program chatbots, like the chatbots that you get for like, oh, I need to return this thing to Amazon. I'm going to talk to this robot, but for a social good. So one of them was called My Ethical Feet. Uh, this was something that somebody created. Uh, it was a, a Facebook chatbot that you could actually ask questions about sustainable purchasing and, and shopping, which was really cool to see. So doing curriculum design with them, also doing professional development for educators, how to use the tools and the platforms, but also what does good instructional practice look like? We also have a, a number of cohorts that we lead. Um, when the pandemic hit, uh, we kind of hit pause for a moment because the last thing we wanted to do was overwhelm uh, educators who were already doing so much. I mean, educators do so much anyway, but then throw a pandemic in and we know we know what the plate of the educator has been over the last few years. But one of the first things that we really did uh, during the pandemic that was teacher facing was we, we brought together a, a cohort of educators uh, in, in and out of school time. So K-12 educators and then also out of school time organizations. And we called it the Maker Learning at Home cohort because one of the things that we really wanted to see was we wanted ki to see kids having the opportunity to create no matter where they were. We know once schools got shut down, similar to esports, like esports, the pivot was, okay, well, we're just going to play online and yeah, we'll have to deal with things like ping and other things, but this is something that we can continue. And similar in, in maker learning, kids were cut off from their, from their maker spaces, their robotics labs. How can we make sure that kids get those opportunities? So we provided some funding to, to four, four or five different programs where they actually got programming out to their kids. They had to reach them wherever they were. And we documented that and are turning that into best practices because we know that even once the pandemic subsides, we still want kids to be able to do this stuff wherever they are. So what are the best practices for that, uh, even in, an, in a pandemic and out of that? And then most recently, uh, we, we just we did a, uh, a landscape scan of maker learning throughout the United States, had a, a couple hundred responses from educators all over the country about what the state of maker learning is. And we just published those results in a report and also a number of recommendations. So we also we took a lot of a lot of the, the good things uh, that that came from from the pandemic and, and some of the shifts that we had to make. Um, I don't like to call them good. It feels weird to call them good things like maybe silver linings. But what what were the things what were our takeaways from 
from making uh, during the pandemic? And how can we make sure that kids have these opportunities to create? Which, like, again, I see a ton of parallels between that and and uh, and the esports and the gaming world. You know, a lot of kids probably picked up streaming while while they were stuck at home. Like, they didn't want to just game; they wanted to create some content. Uh, how do you create social media content effectively? How do you market yourself really well? There's all these really cool lessons that kids can learn that that take them in in directions maybe they didn't think that they would go in but those skills and those concepts are really transferable to so many different things so how do we create those conditions like that's that's the work that that i'm really i'm really invested in both at digital promise and and also at, at cope as well amazing so it sounds like you're really working on some great stuff. So kind of bringing this towards the end. So tell us about some techniques that a parent can use to start, you know, their child onto gaming. Is there things to avoid? How do you kind of encourage parents and kids to communicate about, you know, gameplay time and the type of games? How does a parent really engage in that? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, so anything should start with a conversation, Right. Any parent, so if if their kids are already gaming and and they're not really sure what's going on, ask. Like that's something that's that's really critical. Like and ask in a way that's that's not probing. I guess is the best way to say it. Like ask in a way that you're genuine, genu genuinely curious. Like I want to know more about this. Approaching from a curiosity standpoint and an interest standpoint rather than a skeptical standpoint is really really big particularly if your kid has already started gaming or has shown an interest in it and has maybe raised that as something that they'd want to do and and you want to understand as a parent like, what 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 are they drawn to in gaming what is it is it is it the competitive aspect is it the the ability to connect with their friends you know it's interesting. I I was on uh, actually my brother in law's podcast like a couple of months ago, and I had just given my my niece and nephew my old Xbox One, and like, the only console they had had before that was like the the uh, that little mini Nintendo Entertainment System that Nintendo sold for like a hundred dollars like a couple a couple of years ago. Like that was the only console they had ever known. So I, I gave them my Xbox One, and I was like, listen, Fortnite's free download it i'm happy to play with you whenever like take the xbox enjoy it and my sister-in-law reached out to me a, a couple months after that and she was like you know she was like i wasn't really sure about this but i see my kids connecting with their friends and connecting with you like they live like 45 minutes from me so close enough that i can see them sometimes but not so close that i see them all the time and like She's like, they get to connect with you. Like I played with them last night, actually. Like we played for like three hours together and I get to be a part of their lives in a way that I, I didn't get to before. So like, that's another thing that parents can do, right? Parents can pick up a controller or pick up a mouse and keyboard or just sit with them and say like, I want to learn more about this. I want to know about what you're doing. Like, how do you play this game? What is the point of this game? Like kids, whether or not they will admit it want their parents to take an interest in what it is that they do. Even if it's just only to gain acceptance, that's something that they very, like, they don't want that conflict. They don't need that conflict, particularly around something that they love. So finding finding commonalities in gaming and maybe something that your parents are interested in. Like, maybe there was something that they did as a kid that their parents didn't understand. Like, how do you find a way to connect about those things? But then when you talk about a pathway into gaming if that's into competitive esports what is your plan like what are what are the things that you need to do like do you want to be 
Do you want to be a professional esports athlete? Great. Let's have similar conversations that we would have with a kid who's in middle or high school that's already getting looks from colleges. Like, what are the conversations you're going to have? Okay, you may go play in high school. You may get a full ride to college. What are your plans? Like, what are the things that you want to do? And like, give the kids some ownership in that. Like, that agency is huge for them. Say, you know, like, what I, I don't know what the statistic is, but like, However many college athletes, even even ones that get scholarships or full rides, don't all necessarily make it to the pros. So what are they? What's their plan after they've gotten their full ride to college? What do they want to major in? What do they want to do? Do they want to work in and around the sport that they played? Do they want to go into broadcast? Do they want to go into coaching or or uh, like I mean, we see it in esports too. Like there, there's the medical field. You're an esports attorney. Like there's all of these different pathways that kids can take. So what are the? Con I don't even want to call them contingency plans. What are the plans? Like what is it that you want to do as a kid going through this? And how can I, as the parent, support you? Because ultimately, what I want is for my kids to be successful and happy. So whatever that is. I need to work with my kids to help them formulate a plan. So that's, for me, what should be at the root of any conversation and any work that kid, parents are going to do with their kids around this. It, it needs to be about how do we make you successful? How do we make you happy? And those things require, let's call them contingency plans. Like, okay, you wanted to be a pro. You wanted to be a pro Counter-Strike player. That didn't pan out. What do you want to do now? You, you need to already have your backup plan or at least some idea of what that plan might be and work with them on it. And that's something that you can, you know, like that's something that you can continue to have conversations around. And if it's not that serious and like kids just want to do stuff and like play games and like have fun and that's their fun thing, better understand that too. Like I, I, I always give the example of, of a kid up in his room or her room playing a game and the parent saying, all right, I need you to come down for dinner. But they're playing a multiplayer game and they're in the top 10. What you're saying, like, and then they, so they finally come or downstairs. Like pause the game for a second. Yeah, like pause it, pause it. No, you don't, like that, that would be like you, me, me saying like, I'm playing pickup basketball with a bunch of people I don't know. Asking them to, to stop the game because my mom is calling me. It's not a thing they're going to do. So like, that's actually a problem on both sides, right? That's a problem with the parent not understanding what the kid is doing and the impact that they're having. And it's also a problem with the, the kid not understanding what their, the expectations are. So again, for me, it's always the conversation. And like, I always say for me, because like, I'm living this right now, it's conversation. As a kid, I need to convey to my parent, hey, mom dad, whoever. I was playing with my friends. We were playing and we were playing competitively. I'm sorry I didn't come down. I can't pause it. The game that I'm playing doesn't pause. The parent, this is when we eat dinner. We eat dinner six o'clock roughly every night. My expectation is if you're going to be playing a game around dinner time, that you build in enough of a buffer that you are done by the time I might call you down for dinner. That right there can solve 
an incredible amount of conflict around gaming in your house. Just simply understanding and communicating frustration points is huge. Like, just say, like, listen, these, these, this, is, this is how we operate in this house. If you're playing around dinner time, you know that six o'clock is roughly when we're going to eat. If that's going to change, I'll let you know. If that's not going to change, you know you need to expect to be done by that point. If you go over and I call you down and you don't come down right away, these are the consequences because you knew that there was a chance at some point I was going to be calling you down for this. And like that is like when I when I share that with parents, they're like, oh, like, first of all, I didn't know that you can't pause it. Like, I still have to have that conversation with my wife. She'll be like, I need you to come upstairs. I'm like, I can't pause it. I can't pause it. Well, I'm in there's the middle different of different modes. You know, I play right. 2K, so some I right. can pause, some I can't. Right, right. So again, like really effective communication is key. Just communicating without getting heated can lead to so much better outcomes, much to much better outcomes than if you just continue to operate in the, what, what do they say? Is the insanity is, is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. If every night you're coming into this battle that like they're playing around dinner time, well then you need to eliminate that. That needs to be eliminated. How do you collaboratively eliminate that? Like, yeah, like sure. You're the parent, what you say goes, but like you can involve your kid in that conversation. You can absolutely without quote unquote, ceding any power. You can absolutely uh, and involve them in that conversation so that they feel validated in what they're doing. Because in that moment, that kid feels that game is the most important thing they're doing right now. Maybe they're just about to rank up into a mode where they can start actually competing for money. And if they walk away from it, or if you want, if you disconnect the Wi-Fi, whatever it is, like you're you're causing the harm to something that they're really passionate about and like yeah like your parent what you say goes but also not really like let's not like when, when you're talking about a kid's passions like th there are there are better ways to deal with that than just outright conflict well i think that for anyone out there listening and you know i took that to heart as well it's some really amazing advice so you know i like to kind of bring this towards the end so you know, tell us a little about your future work with Cope and kind of about, you know, where you go from here in the learning tech space. I, I mean, I think it's 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 exactly what what we were just talking about just a few moments ago. It's it's helping people better understand those things. How do we as Cope get that information out there to parents and really help them better understand how they can support their kids in this gaming journey, whether it's a gaming journey that's just mostly social or like or, or moderately competitive all the way up to like really, really cream of the crop competition or any of the pathways in and around gaming or esports. What does that look like? How like our goal at Cope is to help minimize those problems while uplifting the incredible things that are happening in the industry and really highlighting that for folks so they can see there really is a ton of opportunity and a ton of positivity in gaming. So much of the media in and around gaming and esports is negative. And the industry, just like any other industry, has a ton of issues around toxicity, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia. We, I mean, every time I log on to Twitter, somebody's getting yelled at, and rightfully so. Like, there's a lot of, there's, there are problems in the industry. But the only way to address those problems is as we bring more people into the industry, if they better understand benefits of the industry and the positivity that can happen in the industry while 
making it known that those bad things, the things that we don't like about the industry are not okay. I always say toxicity in gaming didn't come from nowhere. You don't hear so much about toxicity in professional sports or even in or even in in middle and high school sports because kids learn how to play in a quote unquote more professional manner. When you play for a high school, you're not allowed like you yeah, like you can you can trash talk a little bit like all the good fun and spirits, but like you get called for penalties, like you get called for taunting or unsportsmanlike conduct. You're like there when there are issues in the locker room. There's a line and it cannot be crossed. Right. And you know what? Part of the reason gaming is the way that it is, is because those things haven't been addressed the same way that they've been addressed in traditional sports. And that starts with teaching it in school and out of school programs and extracurriculars. Even parks and rec should have, like, you know, like there should be esports in parks and rec. And like these are opportunity opportunities for coaches to teach good sportsmanship in 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 esports and you know what it's even more important because a lot of times it's online or not face to face and we we know that people are are more aggressive and more willing to say negative things to people when they don't know that like when they when they act like there's not a person on the other side of it so all the more reason we should be teaching these things at an earlier age in a more formal way than we do now. Because right now, the way kids are learning about games is in their bedrooms and in their basements. And that's great. But like, I remember the things I did in my bedroom and in my basement as a kid. And like, (laughs) we we need some more formal structures. (laughs) Exactly. We need a couple adults in the room to make sure we don't get too out of line. Yeah. Amazing. So, you know, I like to end each episode with my three questions. So what's your favorite game to watch? My favorite game to watch, like, honestly, I still watch a ton of Fortnite. There's just something about, like, you you have to be good at, at shooting. Like, your accuracy has to be really good. But the entire build meta and how that's created, how that's changed over the years. You know, I watched... I watched an old clip uh, of Ninja's like first win in Fortnite and like there was no building at all. And then like I watch players now and I'm just like, sometimes it's so hard to track. And I'm just like, I'm thinking about all of the movement that goes into it and all the different ways that you can make a play to win and how the game is constantly shifting. It's like every time I turn it on, I see something new that I've never seen before. But I've definitely also been, I've been enjoying watching, watching, uh, Halo Infinite now too. Even even the the single player is just just a really really well done game. I, I've really been enjoying watching that a ton. So, what's your favorite game to play? Ah, uh, God, that's hard. I mean, I, I would say Fortnite is what I play the most. Um, I, I'm actually besides that, like playing with my with my friends. Like, I'm actually more of a single player player. So, like, I've actually. You know, like I said, I've got two young kids, so I'm catching up on my backlog. Um, I just finished uh, Spider-Man Remastered on PS5. I'm getting ready to jump into Miles Morales. That that game is is absolutely incredible. I'm doing Halo Infinite right now. Uh, I get a little bit less time up for that though because that's in the basement on the PC. Um, and then I just any, anything that my kid wants to play. You know, like I love I love to like I love to play even though we don't play it multiplayer. Like I'll play Animal Crossing with him and we'll we'll design stuff. I've been teaching him Minecraft. Uh, we love to build with Legos. So getting the opportunity to start building the the fine motor skills that go along with with building 
really complex builds in Minecraft is super cool. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm always I'm always good to good to play basically anything. Awesome. So, who's your favorite video game character? Favorite video game character? Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's that's tough. Um, I really I loved all three characters in in Grand Theft Auto Five. Um, I think Zelda is also another. Or not I'm sorry, Link is another one because, in particular, because you could put yourself in 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 Link's play. You know, you got to you got to name Link whatever you want. So like, I would always name Link Nick or Obi Wan Nakobi. Um, you got to like really just kind of like a plain hero that you got to got to step foot into. Master Chief uh, is another one as well, and then. Um, uh, I don't know. That, that's a that's a really Kratos. Yeah, like, I mean, you got I, some I, really been, great yeah, ones there. Yeah, you know, I've been playing uh, God of War. I, I never played the uh, the the newer God of War games. I want to make sure I finish that before the new one comes out. And like Kratos is just really really well done in this new one. Just like the nuance of like being a god and also a dad and like also like mourning the loss of of your your child's mother. Like all of it. Like it's just, like. There's there's a, a depth to the storytelling and character that that I don't think was there quite as much in the original three. That's really cool to see. Amazing. So you know, thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So everybody, where they can find you and connect with you. Uh, so you can find me on social media at Obi Wan Nakobi, mostly on Twitter, a little bit on Instagram, and why not LinkedIn too? You can find me there, Nick Shiner as well. It's S C H. I-N-E-R, and then I'm also on Twitch occasionally. Going to be picking that up more in 2022. That's twitch.tv slash Obi-Wan Nicobi. Amazing. And, you know, everyone follow me on Twitter, Justin J-E-S-Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all past episodes. Thanks and have a great day. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.